1: Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 124, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. that's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year-Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, have you calmed down since the recap show because you were pretty fired up? I got a lot of people tweeting at me saying that you okay. were all just ranting and I was the calm Hindu cow Zen guy over here.
2: Firstly, I have no idea what just started happening outside of my window. <laughs> There's a loud construction noise that literally, as I hit record, began. So I apologize for that. But no, it was you, <laughs> sir. False. And you thought that you were being not like this. And I told you being like this. And the internet agreed with me and not you. So. But I did just like... I had, I had the, the experience of a sh- on a short week of, like, I watched all the Eagles defense reps for a piece I'm writing about the pass rush, and then I watched two games of the, the, the Packers defense, and I watched two games of the Packers offense, like, all within the last 24 hours. Yeah. So I don't know what is happening. Watched there's a lot of film that just occurred in very tight period of time. Um, so hopefully that I know what I'm talking about. But I'm feeling the um the stress of the short week. As Doug said, Doug his presser was like, we don't even watch the Detroit film. I was like, screw you, man! I have to watch the Detroit film. <laughs> if I'm gonna watch it, you should have to watch it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we didn't even get to do our film review show for that. So we're gonna be doing a film review show that's gonna kind of encompass week three and week four together after the Thursday night football game. Once that all twenty two comes available. But like you said, we are dealing with a short week as we move in towards this preview of this fast approaching week four game very important game for the eagles as their one and two packers sit at three and oh and we can jump into it man do you want to have uh because now right around this time of the season is when we start to have our weekly discussion about which one of these underperforming running backs should be chosen for week four to be the bell of the ball
2: glad to hear that you on wednesday got to my sunday take Glad you caught up.
1: Honestly, we don't have to talk about these running backs, but like seriously though, they have been certified booty cheeks.
2: Well, this but this is like like and when I reference the Sunday take, what I'm referencing is when I said like in week one there's too much Darren Sproles and in week three there's too much Miles Sanders and by week five it's gonna be too much Aaron Howard. Right. It's a running back by committee with new pieces on a team that has constantly been by running back committee and has struggled. Like by going running back by committee, you inherently invite the the contrapositive. Every time a running back makes a bad play, the other two running backs would have made better plays. Absolutely. Even if you played just one running back, he would occasionally make a bad play.
1: And the backup would be popular.
2: Yeah, in the event that you're just running him... You would not have the alternative hypotheticals to say, well, Jordan Howard would never have ever fumbled a football in his life, which is, like, not true. Jordan Howard has fumbled the ball. Yeah. You know, Darren Sproles has fumbled before. So complaining about which backup, which touches, and which situations on a running back by committee, especially in week three, is just like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's boring to me. But I do agree, and this, I think that, like, we, we, we sometimes get a little bit too, like, rah-rah, look at us, we knew it. But with Miles Sanders, I think it's a really deserved point. Like, the Sanders explosion of excitement because he's a very nimble young man yeah was expected and not surprising but also he's 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 not a consistent player even at that at which he is good right now and then that at which he is poor he, he's consistent in the sense that it's bad across the board this is a rookie player who should not have been expected to come in, solve the running back problem for the Eagles, take over the line share of the carries, break them out of a committee. Listen, this is the second running back drafted at 53-57 overall. I can never remember if him or I think a white side was selected first.
1: It was Sanders, 53. There's
2: a reason he was so late.
1: The problem with that is, though, you look, at the, you look at the 2019 class and the guys that are getting significant reps, he is being slap out played by Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, David Montgomery, all of them and like we say it's not close and sometimes it's like hyperbolic but he's in the same world as them this league he's siberia compared to them he's luther from umbrella academy he's on the moon there is a significant gap between him and those other players that of, of various values of various selections in different rounds in the draft and we can get like hype over a busted coverage and Y'all can have fun with that. The wheel was nice, but let's be real. He ran in a straight line. That's what he's good at. I wonder how many running backs in the NFL that you can find that, that can do that, that can do what he's done so far. And, and I really wonder because the Eagles can't seem to find any of them. And that's why it, the committee doesn't matter to me. Like, yeah, it's a committee and it doesn't matter to me which one gets the bulk of the carries because unless you have an elite running back or close to it, the difference between Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders right now is nothing. They, they've all been bad. And can they turn it around? Yeah, sure. I mean, they damn well better. This running game stinks. And the only saving grace is the fact that the Eagles don't care about establishing the suck. The best run game for them right now is RPO's and in a pass.
2: Matt, right now we say that, right? The Eagles don't care about establishing the run.
1: And I say that in a sense that like on first and 10 in the first three quarters, I think they're around twenty sixth or 27th for run frequency. That's what I mean. They're not going to just keep pounding their head against the wall.
2: Right, which is great. And I think if you asked a lot of people in Eagles, you know, a lot of Eagles fans, be like, "Hey, you know, generally speaking, are the Eagles passing the ball too much, running the ball too much, or is it good?" The overwhelming response that you always get is they're they're not running the ball enough, right? People want them to run the ball, as you said, on early downs, on on expected, you know, like like uh, like first and ten, second and ten downs, that let that the the circumstances of the down and distance do not dictate the play. That's why we talk about those. Early downs and those predictable downs. The Eagles are one of the less, the lowest running uh, frequency teams in in the in the nation. I think it's good and it makes sense. One thing that really stood out to me when I was actually preparing for the Packers and trying to figure out how their run game works in 2019, right now, in terms of run rate under center versus in the gun, Mm. the Eagles are actually second in the league in terms of frequency running from shotgun. (laughs) Only the Baltimore Ravens run from shotgun more. And the Baltimore Ravens running from shotgun is slightly different because they have Lamar Jackson, it's from the pistol, and they only run shotgun 96% of the time, (laughs) which is league leading. It's them in Arizona, right? Well, Philadelphia also is pretty heavily skewed. Philadelphia runs under shotgun 86% of the time. Hmm. So the Eagles still do have, I'm not just saying like when you line up in shotgun teams know the Eagles are running it. That's not the case. If, If you asked me the number one thing the Eagles could do to galvanize their rushing attack, to me, it would be run the ball under center more frequently. Yeah. It's very hard to run the trap plays that the Eagles like to run from, from the gun. The timing right. is off. The back has to wait and then, and then get vertical very quickly in order to execute you know, running that B-gap rail that we talk about on trap plays. Those plays, I think, make a lot more sense under center. So right now, the Eagles are in the top five in the league in terms of percentage of snaps taken from shotgun. It's Arizona, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Seattle. Those are the top five takers, snaps and shotgun. But then among those teams, uh, Baltimore, Seattle, and Philadelphia run the ball a ton from the gun. Baltimore's got Lamar Jackson. Seattle's got Russell Wilson. They're getting designed plays where they can keep the ball. Much more so for Jackson, but Wilson gets them as well. That's really not the case with Philadelphia with with Carson, and both of these teams run the ball a, a ton more in general than Philadelphia does, and it's a bigger part of their offense. So to me, I think that the Eagles need to be able to integrate a rushing attack under center. If there's something that they want to to continue to figure out and continue to experiment with, that likely is going to help out Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard is going to become that player.
1: Now, what's crazy to me is the fact that you mentioned the difference between shotgun and under center. It's also killing that under center play action game as well. And you don't need to establish a run to do play action, but that's part of the menu. And what's crazy to me is without Goddard or with an extremely limited Goddard, we've seen three play action plays from week two, seven play action plays for week three, only 16% play action on those 16%. There were 12.6 yards per play, 57% success rate. They got three explosive plays out of that. And then and they and they don't do it. Why why is losing Goddard the thing that keeps the Eagles from just running the offense? What Goddard is the wasn't a big piece of the offense in two thousand seventeen. He wasn't there. Right. So, it so didn't it exist.
2: Was, right. And 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 they were it was with Brent Seleck, right? And they right. were in a ton of twelve personnel sets with Brent Seleck. But that's what's so frustrating about the Richard Rogers, Josh Perkins, Alice Ellis dance. Right. Right. Which obviously you didn't know that Goddard was going to tweak his calf in pregame against the Falcons. Yes, you didn't know. But the calf was tweaked in the preseason. Yeah. You love to run 12, and you had two tight ends on the active roster. Yeah. It's just weird management.
1: Right. Because... And then a failure to adjust in the third game, only sixteen percent play action, and you know that he's going to be limited coming into it. You don't, you don't need Ertz and Goddard to run play action. Not every team even has an Ertz; they have just two right. guys and they run more play action and they're successful with it. I don't, I don't get why it completely nerfs that part of the game. Right.
2: And the funny thing was, is play action, at least for me, against Detroit, what? was
1: misdirection and getting those linebackers right. flowing, and yeah,
2: it, but it was in the opening script. Yeah. And then nothing. Spanish, I just don't know. Which was weird.
1: And I think they're going to have problems with this Packers defense if you kind of want to transition to
2: some right, of Right, we those. probably should, but... <laughs> if we were to not transition, what I would say would be, that was gracefully done. There's also what I tweeted out yesterday, which I think was from Eric Eager of PFF.
1: Oh, the opening script EPA.
2: Yes, which was... Um,
1: Packers will jump out quick there. Uh, me and Mark Schofield, we talking about this on the QB show, and I'll talk about this when you pull that up. But that LaFleur is like really solid at scheming up passing plays in the beginning script, in the first 15 plays. Yeah. And then things kind of get away from him. I don't know if you noticed in the third game, and I was talking about this with Schofield as well but you could tell that there was some frustrations when they kind of had to to adjust and they were in the flow of the game and 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 not everything was that cookie cutter okay this is what we want to establish right away now we have to adjust type of deal so the packers will jump on you but they may struggle in the middle portion still getting used to what they are who they want to be as an offense
2: right which is i really agree with that sentiment in the sense that this team does not feel like holistic to me on offense and they haven't been great on offense thus far, Mm -hmm. and I'd be able to tell you how great they were if I remembered my notes, which I left in the kitchen, but, (laughs) where I was doing film work, what I do remember is that Rodgers is relatively average to a little bit below average in terms of uh yards per attempt and in terms of completion percentage and in terms of x comp and all of these things nothing he's doing uh, as a passer is is remotely notable in terms of advanced statistics relative to the field which is aaron Rodgers, so when he's not notable it's notable the only thing he sticks out in is time to throw which is not good because <laughs> that's not by design that's because <laughs> Rodgers is sitting back there making it up it's because he's sitting back there and goofing off and not throwing quick the quick game and not playing within structure and not taking checkdowns right. and cycling about in his Rajazurian way and trying to make something happen. Furthermore, and this has always been my like thing with Lifter, <laughs> which you listeners will remember. Yeah, he's, he's a Sean McVay disciple. Okay, well, why is he a Sean McVay disciple? Number one, because they take a bunch of snaps from under center. As I said when I was talking about the Eagles thing— when it comes to being under center, the, the the leaders in the clubhouse are Minnesota, the Rams, the Packers, the the 49ers, and the Tampa Buccaneers. What do those teams have in common? All of them are West Coast teams, except for Tampa, which is kinda like, eh. But still, they're all West Coast teams, and then Shanahan McVeigh and LaFleur is the tree. That's the West Coast, old Shanahan tree, right? Yeah. So we have West Coast, and we have snaps from under Center. Besides that, LaFleur is not running the condensed sets that Sean McVay loves. Mm-hmm. He occasionally puts him out there, but he doesn't really. Lafleur is not going exclusively 11 personnel. He's super balanced in terms of they run 11, they run a lot of 12, they run a lot of 21. The fullback. A fullback? who's McVay doesn't even have a fullback. And then uh, route concepts. Sure, they, they'll occasionally have some intermediate crossers, but you know it's no much more so than the average NFL offense. Then you've got isolation routes, and you've got the the quick lane, slant flat, all hitches. None of this is McVayian. So in that, Lafleur takes snaps from under center. He's in. Hmm. West Coast concepts, McVeigh. Other than that. He does not do all of the stuff that McVay does lead- leadingly that makes the whole Rams offense holistic. It makes it tick. It makes everything play off of, of, of itself. The, how the jet motion relates to the, the wide zone action, how it allows wide zone weak to develop, how the, the wide zone weak from under center allows the play action game to develop, and it increases the boot rollout game, which allows you to hit crossers. None of that, that synchronicity, that 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 that. Harmony between those concepts is there in the LaFleur offense for me. There's motion. It doesn't really affect flow. There's crossing routes. They're not really in time with drops. Right. There's play action. It doesn't really open anybody up. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's, I, I, I don't find the LaFleur offense very effective. Period.
1: Here's what I'm concerned about. There There was one play that has a few layers to it and I'm going to talk about this one. It's from, if you want to open it up and follow along, Ben, or if, gentle listener, you want to follow along with us as well if you have Game Pass. It's from the Packers-Broncos game. It's first quarter, quarter first drive, first quarter. 12-22, second and six at the Denver 40. So the Packers come out with two wide receivers to the left. They're kind of condensed and, and tight. They're inside the numbers. They're not like right up butted next to the line. This is for Sh- Jim Schwartz to make a correlation here. This is Blitz and Tory baby. We want to – We want to get you out of here. We want to get you out of field goal position. Is this this the
2: offsides?
1: Yes, exactly. So you get the hard count, who Aaron Rodgers is like one of the best in the business at at doing the hard count, even got his own guys a couple of times in that game, as we talked about on the QB Sco Show. So you see Von Miller. Von Miller is known for like king on certain cadences, and then he just starts firing off, and he can get some offsides calls that way. Who else is like that on the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, right. Derek Barnett, known offender, repeat offender, had the most offsides penalties in college the year before he came out, and that has carried over into the pros. He likes to key in first quarter, see what's going on, and then start to jump the snap. Yeah, That's a problem. Then you also have MVS, Valdez Gantling, with four, three, seven speed. He's one-on-one, and I was just thinking, man, if they come with a cover zero right here, and you got MVS. On literally anyone in the defensive backfield, and there's that slight hesitation of, oh, they're going to blow this dead. MBS is gone. And the throw from Rodgers, like Rodgers has been up and down in the past few years. This throw is off his back foot. It is a sidearm throw. And he drops this puppy 50 yards in the air right in the bucket. Derek Barnett's got to play really disciplined football. So it's all the defensive line, but I'm noting Dar- Barnett because he's known for this type of thing. Aaron Rodgers will get you.
2: I'm actually, I'm glad you brought this play up because my favorite stat for the Packers entire offense probably is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is become what they kind of wanted him to become uh, i think it was a fourth round pick in 2018 uh he was a a nc state to south florida transfer because of some issues in college i think they were academic if memory serves but I may be wrong don't quote me on that either way i mean like you said four three seven guy he's six four he's got absolute vines he's honestly like he's no terry mclaurin like he doesn't run great routes but this is the the, the speed profile that's been hurting the eagles since jimbo got here but volta scantling 2019 21 targets, 13 receptions, 13 yards per reception is pretty good, right? But here's what's hilarious. He has 12 air yards per reception. That's his average depth of target. That's deep. On 13 (laughs) yards per reception. So he has 170 total yards. 12 of them have come after the catch. (laughs) That's a a weird one. If you were wondering what a deep threat looks like, that's right is there. what this is. Yeah. <laughs> so when they what 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 they want to layer is you know, they want to layer deep with MVS and then intermediate with Devonte Adams, unless was... Devonte Adams develop across the middle of the field. Which this is like it's interesting. This is probably. The worst receiving core the Eagles will face, maybe? Washington? We don't really know. Like, Washington's a weird Like, McLaurin's been really, it really was
1: good. Just McLaurin. And if yeah. you're going to put up, like, McCorn against Adams, I'll take Adams all day. Well,
2: I'll, they... that, my, oh, no. I mean, McLaurin against Adams, I'll take Adams. But I think if you put Paul Richardson up against Marquez Valdez like I would take Paul Richardson.
1: Oh, that's okay. I see what you're saying. Right.
2: So, say, like, like maybe they're not the, the worst. They're definitely worse than what the Eagles got against. Atlanta, and they're definitely worse than what the Eagles got against the Lions. Mm -hmm. That being said, Devontae Adams, right, it's probably Julio and then Adams in terms of the the quality of one receiver the Eagles have faced. Why does this matter? Because the Eagles can't cover Anybody one on one, (laughs) let alone Julio one on one, and now Darby's gone.
1: And Adams is super, super meticulous. Route runner, super meticulous, and his releases.
2: Right, and like so, so that's why this is is critical because what is Adams really good at? It's it's route running and it's releasing. Yeah. Listen, everyone knows that I will stand for rasul Douglas pretty hard, and he has played some great ball in the last couple weeks. Adams Detroit, with- <laughs> Detroit game is probably one of the best ones he's ever True. played. So True. Sewell's feeling himself. He's been productive. He's <laughs> been he's been disruptive. I'm very happy for him. With Darby gone, yeah. If they put Sewell over Devontae Adams, he's going to get schooled. Two hundred and two schooled. Ten catches. 200 yards, two touchdowns. There's no way Rasul can stay. It's not the player Sewell can match up against. It right. just isn't. It is the mold of player that you just don't want. Because Sewell is so aggressive. Yeah. And Adams is so shifty. Yeah. So like that's that's licking chops territory. I mean, that's isolation routes for as not as long as you can get them. Mm-hmm. And with Derby out and with the quality of play that you've been getting from Douglas. You're going to get Adams opposite Douglas on one-on-one coverage. It's going to happen, and it's not going to be good.
1: Imagine how long Rasul is going to have to cover him at times because – the time to throw that you mentioned because how much Rodgers likes to break the pocket and freelance and all that stuff. That's an, right. It's an impossible situation for Rasul, well, This is
2: – right, but – and this is the thing. Like, it's an impossible situation to – with the current corners that you have, obviously with your, your potential starting to injured. Like, we forget about that because – we all, as fans, like Russell Douglas and we want Cindy Jones to be good. But the the, the two players that Jim Schwartz would like to have outside in this game are both injured: Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby. Right. So you know we talk, oh Alshon and Deshaun are gone. Well, we also got to use that same framework for the corners now that yeah. there's no Darby and there's no there's obviously been no Mills for a while. But it's an impossible situation. You say that it's an impossible situation for your corner to match up one on one with with Devonte Adams with this receiver in space. What's well, not an impossible situation, Michael? <laughs> tell him is making it such that your corner doesn't have to do that your Correct. corner does not have to play one-on-one man coverage eight yards off the line of scrimmage praying that he under you know he can break on the route as it develops which he can't yeah because he's a third third year third round player who's not good at that who's better at the line which they've been getting douglas up closer to the line but it's the point of of you know schwartz calls his defense like he's got corners who can match up one-on-one and he does you not and so they, they have to be able to play zone successfully in this game, which has not been a thing that has happened this year.
1: And they're going to have to go split safeties. Schofield brought that up too. I, I,
2: I will believe it maybe a <laughs> year after I see it. Yeah. After I watch the film 85 times and I see them you know, run cover two once, I'll believe it.
1: That's a problem in, in the matchup situation. When we come back here on the Kiston Solak preview show, I want to talk about some defensive players that we may have loved coming into the draft. And I would just, I would love if they were Eagles, but they're not. We'll be right back to talk about them right after this.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team.
1: We are back on the Kist and Solak show episode 124 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation Bleeding Green Nation Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak Ben looking at this this Packers defense man they have been stout they have been very very good ranked very highly in DBOA for for the year you know you look at guys like Jair Alexander who was our Bay in that draft class And we were crushed when we heard he was going to go way higher than where the Eagles were selecting at 32. And rightfully so, he did go there. Guy has absolute ball skills for days, and I do not want to throw at him. However, it's not just Jair. Adrian Amos is so good he made Greg Gabriel delete his tweet at you.
2: Yeah, which is a dang shame because Haha Clinton Dish just had like a great game. It would have been an awesome right? opportunity for him to clap back and he couldn't.
1: I thought it was hilarious because yeah, I was like, dang, Haha's balling out here. It's too bad that right. tweet still Haha had a
2: great game. Now, obviously he <laughs> had it against a wet noodle in Mitchell Trubisky, but
1: still, yeah, exactly. It was a solid performance by him. He got gifted one real bad on a Anyway, then you also have Darnell Savage. Who you know I was gigantically huge on it coming into the draft. One of my favorite safeties in the class. They're playing him a lot at at free safety alignments and and deeper alignments. He's succeeding there earlier than I think a lot of people, including myself, thought was possible. He can also play in the nickel. He can play in the box. Guy's a physical dude. He's got some great pass breakups this year. So he's looking fantastic. So that secondary overall... Looks very good, other than probably Will Redman when they come in in big dime and he's their other safety there. But Kevin King, if there is a weak link in this defense, really overall in pass coverage from the defensive backs. I don't think Kevin King is very good, and I might jinx it here, but what I'm saying is he's a bad safety playing corner, which is how I felt about him when he came out. And I'm glad to say upon further review, I have officially confirmed my bias. And while he's slightly better in coverage than he was as a rookie two years ago, He is just an abysmal tackler that will leak yards after the catch. He has five missed tackles this year, according to PFF, and he had a god-awful one against Philip Lindsay in space that went for a 36-yard gain last week. Very next play, he gets abused on an outside release from Cortland Sutton, and Joe Flacco threw him out of bounds on what absolutely should have been a touchdown. Shortly after, gets toasted on a stutter go. By Sutton, who by the way, I checked the schedule to make sure that the Eagles didn't play Denver this year because I wanted to have a discussion about Sutton, who was one of my favorites from that draft class. But anyway, King on the stutter just looks like he poops himself just a little bit. And then he just loses his bearings with the balls and with the ball in the air, and he just kind of like stops. It was it was just the the whole game, the season for me, even last season, just incredibly ugly stuff from Kevin King that happens just too much. And he's the guy that I'm gonna go get. I want to stay away from Jair. I want to avoid Darnell Savage, and I want to go after King and
2: Prosper. There was a person who shall remain nameless, who is paid significantly multiples more money than I am to talk about the NFL draft. Who was insistent that Kevin King was a better player than Cindy Jones. And here's the thing: Has <laughs> Cindy Jones been good? No. Kevin King has been awful. Yeah, and they've both been unhealthy, and so it's very unfortunate. But King is King is a classic example of, all right, well, he can run like a wide receiver, so he can probably break corner, right? And he just can't. That said, yes, our son, Jair. Here's the thing. Like, I said Sewell was aggressive, and I said Sewell was physical. And Sewell is big and long and strong. And so when he is aggressive, when he's physical, he can do it up against the biggest guys because he has the natural talent. Jair, who is not big, long, strong, he is regular to undersized. To play as aggressively as he does is exclusively a product of demeanor and mentality. He's just angry. Like, he's just a very up in your face, obnoxious, all aggressive player. But because he has much better foot frequency, step frequency, quickness, hip mobility, as compared to Rasul Douglas, though they both play aggressively, when Alexander is in the recovery phase, he is. Markedly more comfortable because he has a far greater range of influence in terms of his ability to 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 rotate and to get to, to play at, at through different angles, and then his ability to get on his horse and, and and close a gap in the recovery phase. Something that Sewell doesn't have. And so Sewell is aggressive by default of the physical tools and maximizing what, what he has. Alexander could be. And eight yards off, off cover corner, just chill around, read in zones, close on the football. Sort of a guy who played outside of contact, he has the physical tools to do it from a demeanor perspective. He's super aggressive, and it's really fun to watch a player with his recovery ability and his quickness be as aggressive as Alexander is. So, Alexander's received a healthy amount of praise from multiple people. I've seen it from Ben, ben Fennell, who does a, a film review for the, the Packers on the Athletic, and obviously, he's also an employee. In the Eagles, uh, the scouting department, he does the podcast with Fran. He's watched Alexander now for two years uh, and preparing for him from the Eagles' perspective. He mentioned the fact that Alexander's beginning to look like an all-pro. I can't say I disagree with him. What I will say, you you brought up Savage and playing free safety. What I like about what Pettin does is that Savage is the deep middle defender, but he's very rarely splitting the field 25 yards back waiting to see which nine ball gets targeted
1: yeah he hasn't been tested on like posts and things of that nature he's more coming down which i love
2: right they not dissimilarly to jimbo Mm -hmm. will ask their corners to become deep defenders in terms Mm -hmm. of rotating and relating now they did play in back-to-back weeks minnesota who as i said uh, Kevin Stefanski, the West Coast-style offense, and then he's got Thielen and Diggs. And then immediately after that, they played Denver, now with first-year offense coordinator Rich Gangarella, who is the quarterback's coach for Kyle Shanahan. So again, this is the LeFleur Shanahan tree. And he, again, is running those two-man route concepts with guys like Hamilton Sanders and Cortland Sun, as you brought up. So for, two, for back-to-back weeks, they saw those deep-crossing concepts that invite that inverted cover too, that invite those overlapping corners that we've talked about before. So there's a chance that's just opponent tendency and that's not exactly what Penn wants to be doing. But Pettin will protect Savage in the middle of the field, and he'll limit the area he has to cover by asking those corners to play deep over and mm-hmm. then sinking flat defenders underneath, which brings me back to the point. The coverage relates to the front. They have to fit uh, uh, as, as, you know, as cogs, and then mesh together, you know, the Incredibles. <laughs> the coverage in the front have to make sense together, especially when you're going to run the sort of five-man front looks that, that Pettin is going to, and that's the really nice thing. Pettin gives these five-man surfaces... That are a nightmare. Yeah, they Uh, are. A nightmare. I mean, Mm. is Montrevious Adams that good? No. But everybody else, Kenny Clark, Dean freaking Lowry, who is just annoyingly... If you ask me how long Dean Lowry's been in the league, (laughs) I would probably say like 15 years. And he hasn't been. It just feels like he's always been here. Anyway, and then the additions of Preston Smith, who's playing good ball, and Zadarius Smith... Who's playing good ball? Yeah. They're gonna give you those reduced fronts we talked about in the Atlanta podcast in terms of a zero right. technique and then two three techniques. So that's three players in between the tackles, congesting interior running lanes, making it difficult to spread and run against run with flow and then cut up field. And then you have Zedarius and Preston playing a stand-up nine techniques on the outside. These are difficult guys to block one-on-one. They will be difficult for Jason and Lane. Who are playing fine ball? It's just they're going to be a problem for anybody, especially because you're going to get them isolated in one on one situations. And then Pettin sends people from depth like there's no tomorrow. Uh he's willing to send Orton Burks. He's willing to send BJ Goodson, who BJ Goodson's out there wearing 93 as an off ball linebacker, like he's I saw Omar Gay there. Yeah, I don't know like, who the heck this. Stop it! Stop it! Exactly. We're in a we're in a generation where like <laughs> linebackers are wearing 40s. Stop wearing a 90. What year do you think this is? And then finally. Though he doesn't send him off. And they've got Blake Martinez playing in the middle. And Blake Martinez coming out of Mississippi State was like, listen, he just is going to be a tackle hog in between the tackles. And that is exactly what he is in Green Bay. Like, this is not a great coverage dude, and He doesn't have good range. But he's just so, so gifted at sifting through the trash, getting up right and getting to the ball carrier between the tackles. So they are really, really stout between the guards, those three guys and Blake Martinez. And then they drastically improved their edge play this year. They've got linebackers who can run in Burks and Goodson and it shows up
1: two guys I wanted to talk about because there's an interesting scenario though with Preston Smith you talked about the tackle Smith is a big dude coming off the edge 6'5, 271 and you look at the way that he got his strip sack against the Broncos game and this isn't directly correlative because the set by Elijah Wilkinson for the Broncos there gave Smith just a clear lane outside and Wilkinson who Smith had three sacks on, by the way. Wilkinson is terrible, not close to Lane Johnson, but you see Smith's length on display, reaches in, knocks it out of Flacco's hand, which, as we talked about a lot, Lane sets super deep. just about deeper than any other offensive tackle in the game, and sometimes that puts Wentz's ball hand in danger of getting swiped at, so that's something you got to be cognizant of if you are Wentz. Kenny Clark, dude, he's I can't talk enough about him. He's kind of like that, that greedy Jarrett type feel. But like this, you're talking about elite level hand usage. They're heavy with bad intentions. He fires them off quick. He is one of the best nose tackles in the game. He more than holds his ground against double teams. He is a pain in the tuchus to deal with in the teeth of that defense. And as... Some of the promising young players in the league, Garrett Bradbury of the Vikings and James Daniels of the Bears, found out in the first two weeks, they got shown all 50 states while getting taught some hard lessons about life in the NFL. And then even Connor McGovern, four-year vet of the Broncos, was not much different. A guy that size and strength and polish is somebody that Jason Kelsey, for as good as he is, could struggle with because Kelsey's main weakness is functional strength, and he makes up for it with fantastic flexibility, with fantastic technique. And athleticism that could be a problem in the middle of the defense. And as we know, and as we talked about in the primer for the Atlanta Falcons game against those fronts, if you can get that zero tech working, it makes that defense work. If you can't, it won't, and that's going to be a problem for the Eagles if they try to get this run game going. And like you said, I, I love I love the defensive scheme from the Packers from petton So
2: the issue, the solution, I should say, and this goes back to me asking for things that I don't get that won't happen. roll him out. Roll him out. Give him flow. Give him flow and roll him out. Yep. Because you, listen, and listen, he's going to get hit. Yep. (laughs) Give him flow. Roll him out. He's going to get hit. You're going to ask guys like Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard to block Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, and one-on-one and split zone sort of looks. It's not going to go well. He's going to go naked sometimes and he's going to get hit. But I'm here to tell you a secret, Mike. Carson, who is not good at, you know, getting rid of the ball, going to his check down, managing pressure, invites getting hit when he's in the pocket (laughs) anyway. So screw this, move the launch point. Especially because when they give you a five-man surface, if they want to send five, they're going to go man behind it. And if they're going to go man behind it, Send Nelson Aguilar on the shallow crossers that he loves so much. Send Zach Ertz on the intermediate crossers that he's so effective at doing, right? Give Elshon Jeffrey deep comebacks to the side of the rollout. These are like those three routes I just named for those three players are some of their most successful routes. And they marry really well with play-action boot. And with play-action boot, you're solving the Kenny Clark issue because you're forcing him to respect initial run action and you're washing him with Brandon Brooks. Yeah, Carson's, and so, and and now Carson's responsible for either getting rid of the ball in time such he's not going to get hit, or making the first guy miss, which he can do, and then tucking and running and getting out of bounds and sliding and not getting hit. But if Carson's not going to be responsible for getting rid of the ball from from the, the pocket, throwing it away when he has nothing, playing to the check down within timing and within within the, the, the rhythm of the offense and not trying to extend every play, like there was obviously the play that went viral on Twitter where somebody was criticizing the Eagles offensive line because Carson Wentz was messing about he's just mucking around in the pocket for six seconds and then he ends up getting sacked that's on carson right so if that's gonna happen when he's under center yeah move him to the roll him out it's gonna happen anyway and this time we're able to get flow you cut the field in half you give him the The option um, the amount of
1: launch point changes that the eagles the variety that they've given carson is just he's in the same spot every time. You know exactly where you're rushing. It is. So,
2: white bread. Let's,
1: let's take a look at this line and let's figure out what are. I, I haven't even thought about my final score yet, but Vegas has it as the over under at 46. Philadelphia Eagles are four point underdogs. Can you do math? Yes. I have 21? 25 20. 21 is what Vegas is saying. Okay. Yes. Uh, first up, over under on the Eagles scoring 25. I'm going to go under. Over. Okay explain
2: don't think the packers have even given up over 21 yet have they
1: they haven't played some very good offenses either i think the eagles are the best offense they're They've gonna given face up
2: three to the bears 16 to the vikings and 16 to the broncos yeah eagles yeah, my grandma can score three obviously you know the, the the past 35 minutes we've gone through some of the issues the eagles have had some of the things we'd like to see some of the changes we would like to make some of the weaknesses that the packers will approach all of this said i think the eagles win the ball game and it's heuristic it's not really analytic it's based off of where the team is narratively versus where they kind of are in terms of their film product. Should have beaten the Falcons, should have beaten the Lions. Teams don't lay down after two weeks like that, even on a short week. The Eagles are a frustrated team, but it's nowhere near a a bad, exhausting, you know, like defeated frustration. It's like, this is stupid. We're better than one and two. Let's kind of right the ship here, especially when you're looking down the barrel of a long week. You don't want to be sitting on... Three straight losses, especially two of them being stupid, but actually three of them being stupid for ten days. That festers in in, in the building. That can get really tough. Uh, so I expect the Eagles to come out with a high sense of urgency. We saw an improved uh, script, an improved uh, strong first quarter performance for you know the people that that matters to. I expect we'll see very much the same thing. And then the Packers' offense has been less than amazing. It really has. The, the 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 Packers put up 21 against the Vikings, 27 against the Broncos. There was a lot of field position and turnovers that went into that. And the Eagles fumbled the ball twice against the Lions. Carson threw, threw two interceptions, one of which was a complete throw against Atlanta. They've generally been pretty good at flipping the field. And even when they gave up the short field against the Lions, the defense was really good in mustering and holding those to field goal attempts. And so I don't think the Packers are going to have as short of fields and as... as, as easy of an approach against the Eagles defense that said they will be able to sustain long drives, so I do think it's a high scoring game I just think the Eagles are going to come out especially from an offensive perspective with getting Alshon Jeffrey back distinctly oriented on making sure they come away with a strong pole-to-pole mistake-free performance and getting an actual win getting back to two and two and kind of proving to themselves uh here at the quarter pole of the season already the fourth game now that, yeah, like it was, it was a bit of a, a rocky landing here, but we're going to be all right. We're going to be able to to beat good teams. So I think that the Eagles end up winning it. Uh, accordingly, I'm going to give them more than 21. I'll probably also give the Packers more than 25. I think like a, a 34-28, a 34-30 sort Ooh. of a game is what we're looking at.
1: My score is going to be a little bit lower last week. I picked the Eagles to lose to Detroit. had a funny feeling going into that game. Don't feel great about being right. I'm not trying to humble brag or anything like that. It's a crappy yeah, loss. Yeah, okay, cool. Shut up, Ben. I'm not going to go as high scoring as you, but I'm going to go fairly high scoring. I'm still going to hit the under, but I'm going to go 24 to 20 Philadelphia. And I think, like you mentioned, the difference is this Matt Liffler offense isn't fully Liffler. integrated. It's not fully in sync. There are going to be stretches of frustration for that offense. And hopefully that's where the Eagles can capitalize and start to build the lead. I think if they're able to stop Green Bay from scoring on their first drive or two, that the Eagles are firmly in control of this one throughout, despite it being a close game. So I'll go twenty-four to twenty. Philadelphia Eagles move to two and two, and we can take our hands off that panic button. However, if they lose, Ben, gonna have a, people are going to have a lot of explain it to do at one and three. There's going to be a lot of panic in the city. It's already starting to build up. The, the the Eagles fan base is just eating themselves alive right now.
2: Well, that's the thing is you got to sit on on one and three for ten days. Yeah. You got to sit not- on it with the the Cowboys almost undoubtedly going to four and zero, and then you're looking down uh, the barrel of a schedule that's now got on it Jets, which should be a, a, a win, a riding of the ship, right? We're two and three, should be a gimme. Then a yeah. solid Vikings team, obviously a very good Cowboys team, and then a good Bills team and a good Bears team. Things and then a, a Patriots Seahawks. Like it's not, it's about to get thick in the middle of the season. And so mm-hmm. you you want to have that cushion of being. At least around five hundred, and also when you beat the Packers, proving that you can beat a good team, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, the Eagles have not yet beat a good team. They've beaten the Redskins,
1: right? So get through the rocky waters at five hundred, and let's get on a freaking roll, man!
2: Right? And this is this is what, like the the, the the salient real takeaway point here: the Eagles have struggled. Uh, they've had injury. They've made dumb mistakes. Whatever. Even for the the most fatalist of fans, this team is clearly better than one and two. Yeah. They clearly and that's the thing about record is that it lies to you a little bit, right? Very high leverage plays, everything hangs in the balance on, on one play, on two plays, on three plays, whatever.
1: That's the thing though, they can't they can't afford a third moral victory.
2: <laughs> and that and that's the thing, is that like eventually you start running out of right the ones that you can fungibly lose because you have to have a good enough record to get into the playoffs. And yeah. That's kind of the objective here. And so the Eagles, you expect a, a regression back to the mean in the win-loss column, and that's what we're we're hoping for here against the Packers, which is a a, a prediction and a belief that is, uh, you know, uh, galvanized. It is empowered. It is made more potent um, by the narrative belief, which is that this is a frustrated Eagles team that really wants to be able to 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 stop effing around and just win a doggone game.
1: Ben. Any last yeah. words for the uh, gentle listeners? This, just so you know, that this will be released on Thursday morning before the game. So this is the last show that they are getting. The next thing that the gentle listeners hear will be our sweet, sweet voices.
2: On the recap show, yeah? Correct. Uh, one, Billy Turner's not very good. Uh, this is the right guard for the, the Packers. Oh, and yeah. they <laughs> They run to the left a lot. Yeah. And they don't run to the right as much. And there's a reason why. <laughs> and his, his, his name is Billy Turner. Fletcher Cox, go. let's go. Come on. What's the what's what's the right tackle's name? What's 65?
1: Well, there's Bakhtiari and there's Beluga.
2: No, no, no. Left tackle is Bakhtiari. Beluga. Brian Bugala. Beluga? Bulaga. Hold on, There it is. 75. Yeah, Bulaga. That, that young man can play some ball. Yeah, he um, can. <laughs> yeah, he's good, but they don't run it to the right. They turn his Uh Number one. Number two, Oren Burks versus Darren Sproles. Advantage Darren Sproles. Burks is super, super jumpy mm-hmm. on round seven. So Sproles uh, in the... Short to intermediate area is what I'm looking forward to. Three, Rodgers will... If the Eagles uh, have very famously only had two sacks so far this season, uh, at least two, if not three, against Rodgers. And Rodgers likes to throw the ball... Rogers likes to throw the ball away, and so he doesn't take a lot of sacks, he doesn't take a lot of interceptions, but Rodgers will move off his spot. And Mm -hmm. the Eagles have been really, really good at getting that first pressure and really, really bad at getting the second one. I think that Rodgers is willingness to hold on to the football late into the down helps them out a good deal for Tyler Lancaster is good I don't know who he is he's the so, backup nose tackle yeah, he's 95 yeah. and he's just this really strong white dude I had to look for him the up. Packers and I was like who, <laughs> who the heck guy? is this yeah. And I was like, why is Dean Lowry wearing a different jersey? And he's Tyler Lancaster. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kisten Solak Show here on BGN Radio. I do appreciate you swinging by. This was the some bit of a lion, some bit of the Packers. We're on a short week. Here's an episode preview show for the week four Thursday night matchup against the Packers at 820 in Lambeau Field. Yes, sir. All right. Sounds okay. mm-hmm. uh, good. In Lambeau Field. It'll be a fun one. Eagles 1 and 2. Big victory on the line here. Excited for the Eagles to be in front of a national audience. Devastated for when they lose the game for another stupid reason in front of everybody. And fall to 1-3. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Secret between you and me. If it's anything other than iTunes, we will not read it and have no idea that it happened. (laughs) But when you subscribe, uh, it allows you to get notified whenever we drop a podcast. And like Mike said chaos week here on a short week ton of different shows on the network including the new show babes on broad with sam wilson and jessica town make sure you're catching some of their content as it comes out under the stream we're very excited about everything we're bringing to you so again if you enjoy the show you can also follow us on twitter at benjamin solak is me that's s-o-l-a-k at michael kiss nfl is him that's k-i-s-t recap show thursday night friday morning hopefully good news but regardless we will catch you then on friday we
1: all we got we all we need Fly, eagles, fly.
2: For everybody playing at home, they mow the lawn behind my window at 11 o'clock on Wednesday mornings, as we
0: discovered during this podcast. P.G.N.